This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Hi, Mom. Well, Heidi, uh, good afternoon or uh, in New York, right? We'll start with that. I'm in California. It's morning, but you're uh, in New York. Yep, it's right after lunch. Nice and sunny here and a beautiful June day. And the kids are getting ready to uh, get out of school, I assume? Uh, yes. A lot of kids in New York are have just you know finished the year. Or are about to finish. Um, we get out later than the West Coast, so yeah, a lot of kids are about to are about to end this, the uh, year. Let's see, my kids' last day is June twelfth, so they're still in school. They're they're kind of wrapping up their last week, and you know that brings up a lot of things. My mom and I were talking about before the show. The end of the school year brings up a lot of things for people. I mean, I think about Scott, mom, and you know, the year he died, he was a junior, but the following year, he would have graduated from high school. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it can be a tough time for people. And, and, you know, it was always kind of a sigh of relief. And I'm sure it is for you when I had kids, you know, uh, finishing the school year, the summer starting, you know, there's kind of an excitement about it. But um, but it can be tough, uh, particularly if you're working and maybe you've had a loss and you've had kids in school and a routine, other siblings, and now they're going to be ending school. Um, it, it can be a, a little tough because if you've had a loss, I think you depend on routine maybe a, a lot more than other people do. I agree with you. It's, it's a really big change in a family's life to go from the school year to the summer. Yeah, and if you've lost a spouse, again, the routine uh, situation is really important and and so uh, you need to take care of yourself at this time of time of year. Well, Heidi, uh, we've got a really interesting guest today, and I want you to in, uh, introduce her. Um, she, I believe, is from France, and we'll talk to her about it. So we're all excited to uh, get this international ex- expertise on the show and have her talk a little bit about uh, her husband who died by suicide, which I think is going to be important for people to hear how she's coped through the years. Yes, I'll be honored to introduce her mom, and Madeline Herman has a beautiful French accent, which you will hear in a minute. Um, as my mother said, Madeline Herman's husband died by suicide many years ago, and she writes and speaks about helping others to survive such ordeals. She was a Fulbright scholar and has a degree in transpersonal psychology, and she is the author of the psychological mystery, Partita. I hope I pronounced that right, Madeline. Yes, yes. Anyway, yes. welcome to our show. Well, Madeline, it's great to have you on today. Um, talk a, about your husband's death, and and uh, we'll get into your book and, and how you've structured it. I like uh, what you've told us about that. So tell us about your husband first, and, and also tell us where you were born and where you're from. Okay. I was born in France in 1930. And uh, I grew up in Brittany during the World War II. So I was a good student in high school, and I became an athlete. And uh, I was in the French track team for a while, and I studied in Paris. In uh, 1952, I got a a scholarship to come to the United States and study at the University of Iowa. And it is there where I met my husband. He was German, and he also had a scholarship. 
So we, um, it's a long story, and of course in my book I describe this all, all, all well. Anyway, we got married, we uh, settled in California, and we both, we both went back to school to the University of California in Berkeley later on. Ah. Uh, we had four children in three years, which means that I had a child every 11 months. Wow, you were busy. Pretty busy, yes. And uh, we were very poor. Uh, it was in the U.S. Army as a PFT for a while, and we, we worked very, very hard. We built two houses. Uh, he got his master's degrees and later his PhD, and I got my master's degree in Berkeley. I started working and so on. I mean, we were very, very busy. And in 1969, he, um, he had what appeared to be an accident, but I knew there was something else. It was not exactly an accident. It was a big shock and a total, total um, disruption of everything. And I was wondering what had happened. He was such a great swimmer, and yet he had drowned. Uh, he was a brilliant man, and yet he, uh, all of a sudden, he had become very sort of sick uh, psychologically. But in, uh, in the 60s, he died in 1969, I was 39, and he was 39, there was absolutely no awareness of psychology. You know, suicide was a dirty word. Uh, there were no support group, nothing. And I was left in a state of shock, not knowing what had happened. Totally, totally unaware of... Uh, and I totally blocked everything. I, I blocked my feelings. I blocked... Uh, I went in a state of panic, and I blocked everything because I, I wanted to take care of the children, and I wanted to continue life. As, as well as I could. So I was there, not dealing with my feelings at all, and uh, my children in the process were not dealing with theirs either. And How old were your children? My children were at the time 11, 12, 13, and 14. Oh, my goodness. Very difficult age for them, and they were just entering teenage years, and... Uh, uh, there was nobody we could turn to to get support or help or anything. Wow. And, and did people, uh, did you let people know that you thought he'd taken his own life? Or did anyone know that? Or was that just your belief? Well, what happened is that the, the, the police investigated and they couldn't find any reasons. Uh, but they also couldn't find any any clues about what had happened. So the, uh, the report on his death was accidental drowning. And uh, it was uh, just, for me, it looks impossible, especially since just before he had gone and consulted a psychiatrist at the emergency mm. in, in a panic. And uh, the psychiatrist had told him to go to another town at the psychiatric hospital, and he had left, and then it is at this point that the accident, quote-unquote, happened. Mm -hmm. So I knew there was something more than, than that. 
And I started, I blocked it at first. I didn't want to know. I, I preferred the idea of the accident, of course. Mm-hmm. In my head, it was much better. But there were too many things that were um, leading to another solution. And after I started letting my thoughts and my feelings come to the surface, I picked up the clues, and over the years, I I put it all together, and finally I wrote this book, Partita, which I wrote as a psychological mystery, and I tried to make something beautiful out of mm-hmm. it. To and uh, this is um, uh, this is the story of what happened, basically. And, and tell us about the name of the book and why you named it that. Well, I named it Partita because Partita is the name of a piece of music by Johann Sebastian Bach, which is a, a violin solo. My husband was, among other qualities, he was very gifted. He was a violinist also, and a beautiful violinist. And uh, he wanted to play that piece of music perfectly. And one of the clues, of course, for his suicide, which I later on put together, was that this part of himself, of the music, was so important that he had to let it go for some incidents that happened, and which I described in the book. So that's one of the clues of the mystery, of course. And... um, so Partita is the name of that piece of music by Johann Sebastian Bach. And I picked up every, every movement of the Partita and used them as a music, um, as a head for the chapters. So it, it's a very uh, interestingly put together because it corresponds very much to the evol- evolution of that piece of music, which is very dramatic. Now you go around so, and... So, Mom, oh, I ahead. have a question for Madeline. Madeline, um, I give you credit for coming forward with the fact that he died by suicide. My question is, you said at that time period, suicide was a dirty word. Why, since it looked like an accident, why did you decide to come forward with the truth about how he died? Rather than because, just pretend it was an accident. Well, because... For one thing, inside of myself, I knew it was not an accident. I knew there was something else, but I could not put my my fingers on on why. And in those days, I said suicide was a dirty word because nobody talked about it. Uh, right. For example, um, you know, people just didn't want to even talk about it, and. Uh, I, I, I was afraid to even mention the word or, or tell people that that's what I thought it was uh, inside of myself. And uh, the theory of the accident was so much more e- easier, so much easier to, to deal with for me for a long time because uh, um, for people around, for my family and my children especially. Uh, it was a hard thing to face. So now you go around and speak to people about uh, suicide now, right? Well, it's totally different now. The, 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 the idea of suicide now has completely changed. People do accept it and they consider, they don't consider it as 
uh, is something uh, uh, that, that is not common because it is a common thing nowadays. Yeah. How, however, I'll have to say, Madeline, that uh, there's a lot of shame involved with it now. I work with people where there's suicide, and uh, it, it's very difficult. It's still a difficult thing, and I think it's great that you, you're coming forward and saying, you know, uh, the reality is you can't deny it. You almost had a nervous breakdown by doing that, didn't you? Right. Absolutely. And then also there is also one thing that I... I discovered later that there is a tremendous sense of guilt that goes with it. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't approach the idea because what did I do to, you know, to help this happen? Or was I a, a particip- participant in the, in the, uh, in his state of mind? Or, you know, there was a tremendous sense of guilt there. And, um, that is why I think Six months later, after I had been hanging on, you know, with my, uh, the best I could to keep life going as it was, I had a nervous breakdown. Now, what do you, what do you recommend to those folks out there who are hearing your story? They're in the position that you're in there. It's been six months and, or whatever, and they feel like they're almost going to have a nervous breakdown. What do you suggest to people who have had a suicide in the uh, family? How did you deal with it? Well, I recommend definitely to deal with the grief. That's one thing I didn't do, and I didn't never know I was grieving. <laughs> it was the late 60s, and, you know, psychology was just starting to become widespread on the, in, 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 the, in the world for people to understand uh, what happens with their feelings and with their with the way they are and where they come from <laughs> inside and uh, I, I recommend definitely to uh, to deal with the, with the grieving process and not just block it the way I did it uh, I, mm-hmm. I was totally uh, totally closed up to and I didn't talk to anybody I didn't talk to any uh, yes, I did actually, when I had my breakdown, I went to see a, a doctor at that point, and uh, he, uh, he started giving me drugs uh, to deal with it, some Elevil, and uh, I didn't like it. It made me feel so different and so weird. I decided that I was going to do it myself. I was going to deal with it myself. So I took a month off from school, and I went into my my grief inside alone and I I went through my life story I went through and I did I did that for about a month and I got out of it alive <laughs> but during those days I was home dealing with it really listening to music and uh, um, I was doing some a little bit of exercise a little bit of of writing, I was doing all sorts of things to make myself feel better. And uh, however, at six o'clock every day, dinner was on the table for the children. I had gone shopping, I had done things. And I think my children and having to deal with them kept me um, in a certain way. 
that part of myself alive. Yeah, you know what I'm interested in, Heidi. When she's talking, she's she. I, 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 we always say grieving is a natural process, Madeline. And the things that you did to take care of yourself are the things that we're telling people to do. And you did it naturally. Did you notice that, Heidi? Yes, absolutely. You were doing the writing. We always say to people, write, get some exercise, you know, um, you know, try to have some routine in your life for the kids. But you know what strikes me about your story too, Madeline, frankly, is that there are a lot of people out there. You have been a very, you had been in your early life a very disciplined person. You'd been an athlete. You'd found out how to focus. You'd been a student. You'd been all these things. And when we have a loss that we can't control, it's a huge failure. I mean, uh, of what we thought we could do with our lives. And you lived through World War II and a remarkable person. I'm sure you have a story that just goes way beyond what we could ever do here. But you, um, you know, people, it it breaks you when you've had that strength. Totally broken, yes. Totally broken. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And as you said, some of my background in World War II, which you mentioned, and some of my family support way back when I was a child, that came came to the rescue for me because those elements of strength were there. I had gone through World War II with, in total fear with, of the bombing, which we were experiencing all the time. I had gone through all sorts of other experiences that I described in my story. And these were, um, these, these were like survival mechanisms. And the survival mechanism came handy when I survived this tragedy. So, uh, so I love that, don't you, Heidi? Go back to what you know and and those times that you had yeah. in your life, and 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 get those. Well, it's almost time to uh, end the show, Heidi. Did you have any comments you wanted to make before we uh, wrap up? Well, I just like you said, Mom. I love that Madeline went back and saw where her strength was and how to and and kind of relied on those kind of coping skills. And I also give her so much credit for coming forward with the way that her husband died because the only way we are going to get beyond the stigma and make it okay for people out there to talk about suicide is if we talk about our own losses in this way. And kudos to her because she could have just as easily had have hidden the truth. And she didn't. She took the hard road and she's in the process and such an amazing example for all those families out there right now that are listening, that are struggling with the fact that their loved one has also died by suicide. Right. Well, Madeline, tell people how to get your book. Tell us the name of it again, how to get it, and uh, give us a little pitch. Well, the book is quite interesting because it goes through uh, finding the clues, psychological clues, for this man's act. And uh, that wasn't easy to find, but little things were amazingly helpful, like this only thing that was found in his wallet when he was found was a 20 Dutch mark, which is a German currency. And there was nothing else in the wallet. No driver's hmm. license, no credit card, no money, no pictures, nothing. Just this thing. And at first I just looked at it. I just said, what is that, you know? And I was I put it aside, and only years later, I looked at it, and I understood. Okay, and don't tell us what you understood, because we want your the audience to get your book. Now, how do they get it? Well, the book you can get at, uh, uh, there are two ways you can get it. You can get it at the editor, 
Plainview Press in Austin, Texas. Plainview Press. Or you also can get it on, on Amazon. I mean. It's spelled P-A-R-T-I-T-A. And I have a website, uh, MadeleineHerman.com. On the, on the website, you will find all the information about the book. Great. Well, thank you for being on the show, Madeline. And people get the book. Uh, it's, it's a great read. And Madeline, uh, I hope you're writing up your life story, too, because I'm sure it is an incredible life story. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much. Well, Heidi, uh, what an interesting show. Wow, I'd love to sit down and spend the probably a weekend talking to Madeline, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And, you know, She's a great example of someone that has faced much adversity in her life, and those early adversities helped her to get through the biggest loss in her life. Absolutely. And uh, I had a little trouble getting a hold of her at times because she's traveling to Europe and everything, and I think she's told us she's 82, and she's just a, a remarkable woman, and uh, there are people out there like this, and we hope you'll tell people about our radio show, Open to Hope, and uh, we're going. it is now on Voice America, too, for people who want to put apps on their phones or whatever to have the show come up. So uh, thanks for listening and tune in again next week. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.